Listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a World Affairs Council conversation with authoritative voices discussing significant newsmaking issues and individuals. Sponsored by Greenberg Traurig, LLP. Our guest today is Daniel Franklin, the executive editor of The Economist and editor of one of my favorite annual publications, The World In, which comes out each fall of each year with predictions and forecasts for the upcoming year with smart articles on any variety of thought-provoking issues. And speaking of thought-provoking, Daniel is the editor of a new book, Megatech, Technology in 2050. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to have you finally in Dallas. Daniel. In a country that is criticized for only thinking quarter to quarter, you're being quite daring asking us to look forward up to 2050. Tell us about how you came up with this topic, choosing the subjects, and also the contributors. Well, I think it is helpful to take the long view, and it makes you lift your eyes above the immediate horizon and stretch your thinking, and you get some insights that you wouldn't otherwise have. I'm, as you mentioned, used to looking a year ahead and trying to think about that, which is very interesting. But You've been a futurist before we even knew what futurist <laughs> yeah. was. But the long term, <laughs> you, you start to see some of the big tectonic plates, and it starts to encourage larger thoughts. So I think that's helpful. In terms of this book on technology, part of where I turned was those close to me at The Economist. There's some very smart thinkers about technology there, so half the contributors are from there, and half are outside, and I went to a range of people, scientists, academics, industrialists, even science fiction writers, because the imagined futures are also informative. Yeah, I'm reading and enjoying Tom Friedman's new book, Thank You for Being Late, and he writes about Moore's Law, which addresses the accelerated advancements in computer chips, which I think it's safe to say has really revolutionized our technology. Do you think it's possible that that will continue at such a pace, and how will that impact what you're seeing in Megatech? One of the powerful things that that illustrates is what it means to have exponential growth over time, relentlessly. That's what Moore's Law has done, just over 50 years' worth of it now, and the cumulative effect of that is quite staggering. So Moore's Law itself is actually coming towards the end of its life because you can't carry on making microprocessors smaller and smaller. You get to the physical limits of the atom. But I think the computing revolution can continue through other means uh, in the cloud, possibly eventually through other technologies such as quantum computing, perhaps DNA storage. What's fascinating is how you start to see Moore's Law-like effects of exponential growth improvements in efficiency happening in other areas that could yield enormous potential. I think the one that is perhaps most striking is in genome sequencing, which was, well, until relatively recently, it wasn't possible at all. Then it was very expensive and took a long time, and now it's getting cheaper and cheaper and is happening faster and faster to the point where you can imagine it becomes a routine thing that we have done relatively cheaply. Yeah, certainly across Europe and impact in the United States elections was job losses. And a few nights ago, I went out to dinner with a delegation of plant managers from down in, uh, known around the world for its yogurt and, and water. And it was really interesting in that several of them had advanced degrees, not just in engineering, but in robotics. They were talking with me about how eventually many of their plants are going to be you know, very close to fully automated. How is that going to impact our society with the 
contributors that you had here, what are the moral dilemmas about job losses? Yeah, you know, there's hardly an industry that isn't being severely disrupted by technology. And yes, it's the case in manufacturing industries where already a lot of automation actually has taken place. I think what's potentially quite dramatic about the next phase of computing is that it threatens a whole category of, of people who traditionally would have thought their skills made them immune to this sort of thing much much higher up the chain. Doctors, like. accountants, yeah, potentially. lawyers. Yeah. The lawyers will never be out of work, but you know, the type of work they do may change because already you see all sorts of bits of their work automated. E-discovery, for example, is mm -hmm. already a big thing. So I think that it's hard to think of many areas of work that won't have to adapt to this. And the concern, I think a very real concern, is that there will be a great mismatch, at least for a period of time, between the skills that people have and the work that is there to be done. I'm long-term optimistic that there is plenty of work that there will be to go go round. I mean, it would have been hard to imagine all the things that we now do before the Industrial Revolution when most of what people did was work the land in one way or another. So we are very good at creating whole new economies, whole new categories of jobs. But so many but of these jobs along are going the to require lots of education and yes. very highly skilled. Yes, and different sorts of education, perhaps, type that we have now, and those who are adaptable and can learn how to make the new technology work efficiently within it they will do very well and there's a danger that there'll be a big divide between those who do and those who can't. In your book you draw on contributors in a variety of fields. What would surprise our listeners the most about what may happen in 2050? Perhaps people may be surprised by the power of biotechnology and that's really still relatively in its infancy as, as a science, but it stretches into so many areas potentially with its impact. In healthcare there can be dramatic drug discovery and things like artificial tissue, regenerative medicine, but it also stretches into areas of manufacturing that you might not imagine now making whole new types of materials in different ways than you would think at present. So I think that has enormous potential to use new tools to do exciting things. You know, when you talk about what's happening in the field of medicine, how concerned should we be about privacy and the ethical ramifications of that and the impact that we may live for considerably longer? Yes, and I think many other things as well, potentially. We have seen now gene editing tools that are enabling new ways of improving various trades, getting rid of diseases, yes, but possibly doing other things as well. So I think medicine is one area where, and one of several areas, but a very striking example of how the technology is going to be moving often faster than the regulators can keep up. Yeah, we're about to run out of time, but I don't want to miss this opportunity to talk a bit about The Economist World in because I enjoy it so much. Looking at your last one, The World in 2017, when you look back at 2016, what were your best right guesses or forecasts, and where do you feel bad about missing it? Well, we didn't predict Trump or Brexit. Those were the big misses, although there was one, I think, rather prescient look into the future based on opinion polling, which said that the level of faith and trust in the democratic process was so low that this was the equivalent of environmental devastation. There will be have to be consequences of this, and there will be big political shocks. So credit on that score. But we didn't think on balance Brexit would happen or that Donald Trump would become president of the United States. So those were the very big misses, and of course it's the misses that you always remember. We, of course, 
flagged up that people had to be, that these were both risks of this sort of political shock in the American election and that there was always a substantial chance that Brexit might happen, but we, it's not the call that we came down on. I think there are a lot of listeners who are members of the World Affairs Council who probably made the, the same mistake. Let me just again remind our listeners that Daniel Franklin and The Economist are very generous to members of the World Affairs Council. If you are a member of the council, I anywhere in the country you can get a discount for an annual subscription. And Daniel Franklin is the author of Megatech Technology in 2050. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. Subscribe and rate Global IQ Minute on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. For information about a World Affairs Council in your community, visit worldaffairscouncils.org. Global IQ Minute is sponsored by Greenberg Traurig LLP, a global firm with 2,000 attorneys in 38 offices across the globe. Visit the firm at gtlaw.com.